Hey everybody, this is Kevin Olson and you're listening to the Modern Music Teachers Podcast. Welcome everybody to the first episode of the Modern Music Teachers Podcast. My name is John Kiernan. And I'm Sonia Kiernan. Man, we've been talking about doing this for a while, haven't we? Yeah, we've been teaching for a while. Just to give you an idea of who we are, we are a husband and wife teaching team that own a school in northern New Jersey. I like the fact that you said teaching team. That's a, It's got a nice ring to it there. <laughs> I'm the pianist here in this duo. And I am the guitarist, composer, and music technology guy here. Um, I guess, again, talking about this being the Modern Music Teachers podcast, we're going to be talking about a lot of different topics here. Um, I think it fits right alongside the technology and composition. Uh, Sonia, you want to tell everyone what they can expect from our podcast? Sure. My husband and I, being of two different instruments and having a school where we offer lessons in five different instruments, we're going to be diving into a whole array of music methodologies, different teachers coming in, different musical instruments being mentioned, everything from composers to new teachers to your favorite authors of your favorite method books. We have composers who are going to be coming in. We have teachers from universities that are going to be speaking. This is just an entire reference for teachers everywhere, a whole array of different ideas, different mindsets, different ways of thinking, different ways of teaching that are out there right now and accessible for everybody who is in that role of the teacher. Yeah, you know, it being 2020, there's so many different ways and methods to teach, whether you're talking about teaching an instrument, whether it's teaching a student how to compose, whether it's teaching music theory, integrating a bunch of different uh, technologies, regardless of your instrument and regardless of your level, there's so many ways to get creative now and there's so many ways to engage students that we wanted to have an outlet for uh, my wife and I, obviously, but also for other music teachers, uh, composers, and just musicians from all walks of life across the board to be able to come and hear of all the different modern methodologies. Uh, we're obviously going to be talking about some traditional things, but really thinking about we can really create the best experiences for students. And what our interviews are going to really be focused on are how current teachers, how modern teachers have uh, really cultivated new ways to deliver information, new thought processes, new, yeah, just modern ways to teach music, right? <laughs> Teaching has taken such a turn and the world has taken such a turn from when I was first taking lessons, you know, back in the early 90s, there was no internet, there were, there were no iPods even, there were no iTunes, no YouTube, no Facebook, no Facebook groups, there, were, there was none of that. Really the only resource you had was your own music teacher, um, you know, any family members, friends, anybody that you knew personally. And then if I wanted to listen to a recording or if I wanted to get any other ideas, I would go to the library and rent out a CD, put it into my cool little round CD player in my giant book full of CDs. You remember that with the, with the flaps and the 
the little holders. Oh, yeah, definitely. I still have my CD holder downstairs. You know, I just want to always keep that in mind that it's probably full of like 150 to 200 CDs of things like a, as heavy as a brick. It's it's crazy. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But coming from my experience as a student, and even then I had a huge, huge interest in music and seeing where we are now, I think this is the best time to be a music teacher. Different repertoire, different ways to think about it. Uh, different ways to have, you know, let's let's actually speak about that for a second. Different you know, resources is the word I was thinking of. I like resources. <laughs> different yeah, resources. Different resources. You can print out worksheets. You can find music that people have composed that are cute little Valentine's Day songs or even St. Patrick's Day worksheets that are out there, music theory worksheets, little composition worksheets as well that are all geared towards the young student. And those are great ways to just get the student engaged. Different Facebook groups that teachers are a part of, either sharing ideas or even Facebook groups that feature uh, teachers who have published their own method books. Yeah, and I think it's a good way to kind of kick off our conversations here in our upcoming podcast. Um, just a little bit about what you can expect from the Modern Music Teachers podcast that Sonia was talking about. Different ways to think about music, different conversations around teaching music, and interviews with various teachers and uh, various modern musicians and the way that they think about music. But before we even get to any of that, we want to give you a little bit of insight as to what our general teaching philosophies are. As uh, Sonia said, we are both music educators ourselves with different backgrounds. So the first few episodes, we want to have you get to know us a little bit, know a little bit about what our styles are, what brings us joy with teaching and what we've seen uh, successes and even some things that we've seen as opportunities for us, different teachers. And uh, we got a special interview and special interview. We got a special interview coming up for you at the end of the episode here. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but let's jump into that conversation. What are some of your teaching philosophies? Well, I think it's even evolved over the years since we've started teaching and, and it just grows and grows and, and the more I learn the more it changes but my teaching philosophy has always been a well-rounded music education and really an education that doesn't really have any limits whatever that student's interest is goal is I wanted them to have an outlet for that. I wanted a way to be able to dive right into that interest and let that student get creative, get, you know, their personality out, get their interests out, and not just have it be the same curriculum used by every teacher on every single student, you know, the, you know, the scales, which I teach, I definitely teach scales, but the Hannon exercises, there's so much out there right now. I tell my students a lot of the times, I don't care what you play, but it's the way that you play it and the knowledge and the enjoyment behind it. You know, you talk about the enjoyment of the lessons, the enjoyment of music. If we really dive into it, a lot of what brings us as musicians to the table, whether that be to teaching, composing, performing, is really the fact that we find enjoyment and love in music. We find that one spark, whether it's that person on the radio or that music that you hear in an orchestra or whether you see that one performance on TV, that can be a lot of that spark towards, that's that's who I want to be. That's where I want to take this. 
Uh, for me, a big teaching philosophy is, I quite honestly, I think anybody can learn music of any age, and I think everybody can find enjoyment in music, you know, regardless of age, regardless of skill. And I think it's a teacher's job to really hone in on that. I think that your role as a teacher, your job is to learn about your student, get to know the student, really understand what makes the student happy and want to be in lessons. And that can even be somebody who, let's say, who whose parent maybe was like, oh, this is my passion, because we've seen this before. Sometimes the teacher will encounter a family who says, I want my kid to play guitar, or I want my kid to play piano, or I want my kid to play drums, or whatever the instrument. And you could see that maybe the student might not be as into it up front. But I think that there's an ample opportunity there to get to know the student. And then from there, really figure out where you can take it. Um, I also think that you can make theory fun. I think it's really important for students to know theory of any age. And I think that there's a real opportunity for us to not be fearful of teaching theory to a young student or to an older student. And I think there's a lot of ways that you can get creative and, uh, and build that. Yeah, especially to young students. Young students, there's a mentality out there that they're too young or they won't understand or just a fear that they might get frustrated and, and it's too much information. But the more the student gets to know what's in front of them, gets to know the language of music, because it is a new language. It's a brand new, never before seen page of just symbols and different terms that they've never ever heard of. And the more they get familiar with this entire world of music and what everything means, how everything is connected, because that's one thing music theory teaches us, that everything is just connected. Everything just has to do with the other and it, it just goes in a big circle. Students can get into it. One of the things that we keep mentioning, websites and, and different resources for young kids, different fun activities, different apps, which we will talk about as well. We're gonna do an entire episode on our favorite apps, all these different resources that are out there. I don't think there's anything that you can't do as a teacher that you would probably want to do or a student would want to do. And that's what we're gonna go over as well. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. And that's really the crux, I think, of both of our teaching philosophies is that, you know, it, there's nothing really that you can't do and there's nothing that a, a student can't do. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. You were just talking about with your apps, you're talking about there's so much in terms of websites, there's so much in terms of resources. There's so uh, much repertoire out there. Yeah. If not just in, in music books, online. And there are even programs that let you arrange your own rendition of a piece or a rendition of a song. There are apps where you can slow down the tempo of a song or recording. There's just, there's so much out there right now. Another thing I think I want to add to my teaching philosophy here, and quite honestly, I didn't think of it until we started this conversation, is that uh, you can always be learning too. You know, in terms of what you disseminate to your students, you're talking about different, or I'm talking about, and Sonia's talking about different ways to uh, impart that information. But for me, I come from a very, quite honestly, a very rock background, a very com uh, compositional background, uh, but very, I would say, technological background too. And for me, technology was always kind of in my life in one way or another. You know, early on, I didn't necessarily have all of that at my disposal. But as time went on, my familiarity with 
you know, Apple, GarageBand, Logic Pro, and all those things became very second nature to me. So for me, when I'm looking at apps on iPad or on iPhone or new websites, I feel very comfortable being able to integrate that. But one place where I wasn't really strong at kind of upfront was the actual like technical teaching side of it, right? I had a lot of experience, I still have a lot of experience of performing, whether that be in uh, orchestra pits or performing on stage or, you know, uh, session recording, whatever the case may be. But sometimes delivering that information to me up front was very tough. Being able to sit down with a student and, you know, not just say, no, you're not doing it right, but, or say, oh, you're doing it great. But really for me, and what you taught me is how do you key into a student and go, okay, here's the direction we should look to go. Here's how we can get you to attain those goals. So for me, that was a big learning curve that I know we're talking about it being the Modern Music Teachers podcast. But for me, the teaching side of it when I first started was a big opportunity for me. A lot of teaching is self-reflection. A lot of teaching is self-reflection, in my opinion. You have to look and see at yourself what you are, you know, or what opportunities you have. I think there's a lot of, in 2020, a lot of teachers who are doing a lot of creative stuff and a lot of outlets who are trying to make it as easy as possible for teachers to get to that next stage with their students. I think that's a great point that you brought up as well, because every teacher has their own niche. Every teacher has their own method of doing things, their own way, uh, their own lesson plan, their own little curriculum in their head of how to make things work, what method works best for them to teach a lesson. I don't think I would have learned as much or as quickly if I didn't go out there and just talk to other teachers, go into these Facebook groups, look at videos of other teachers teaching, of other students performing, and just see what are they doing? How are they getting students to achieve pieces that they're playing, the sound that they have, all these students that are laughing and smiling and are having such fun in their lessons, how are they achieving this? How are they getting it done? Like, like what's the secret? And we've all run into the parents, and I put S on the end of it because a lot of parents, this is one of their main goals with the lesson, is to have the student enjoy it. That's not something that's really built into our curriculum. Our curriculum is really to go through the lesson book, make sure students can play a piece and perform at a recital without having it be a bad experience. And, or maybe even, you know, a step further, really have a good performance or really kind of achieve some sort of level of success with a goal they had or a piece they wanted to play. But I think it can go even beyond that. I, I think there, there's a side that the student can go into where they really dive into their artistic self and they really get that sense of what it is to be a musician and that rush and that joy that we feel as as musicians when we're playing when we're performing when we're learning a new piece that students just don't get and i don't think they see that side of us either I don't think so either. And then it's really our job to find that within our students. Another part of my teaching philosophy I actually took from a comedian, one of his stand-up specials. He was really comparing a bad and a good personal trainer. A good personal trainer is someone who will be uh, both supportive of what you're doing, but it's also going to push you. You know, things like, okay, or like let's say you have to do a 
let's say you have to do 10 of one exercise and you're the person saying, okay, cool. You've got this going on. You've got this going on. They get you into it. And then as you're in the mode of it, they're saying five more. Good job. Keep going. Good job. You got three more. Come on, push through it. Like for me, it was in the context of a giant joke that the guy was saying, but I really took that to heart because it's sometimes for me, not just looking at what other music teachers do also, but also looking at what other professions do in order to get their teams somewhere greater and make them better than what they were yesterday. Um, and with that analogy or with that story that the comedian told, for me, it was always, okay, what can I do to be like that personal trainer? What can I do to, if a student makes a mistake or can't get something, how can I be supportive to them while still being uh, critical while still saying, okay, we need to go over this part and this part yeah, because being effective. exactly. Yeah. Because you don't want to be the person in the lesson who basically says, oh, that was terrible, but you still do have to be at times that teacher who says, okay, we got to work on this section again. We got to make it a little bit better. Here's what you did. Here's how to correct it. And I think a lot of teachers sometimes either a may not have the verbal linguistics to say that effectively or, you know, just don't feel comfortable having that conversation. So you kind of, you know, like you were talking about before, sometimes you get the student who then says, oh, my teacher is mean, my teacher doesn't care, or I don't like music. Or you get the student who plays for a while and doesn't really have the, um, the critique from someone who's been doing this for years. And both of those can be a little bit harmful in my opinion. But if you do take an approach like that, like kind of like I've adopted... I felt like that's shown me a lot of success, and I've really taken that as part of my teaching philosophy. Oh, yeah. We're not only teachers. We're, we're coaches as well. I'll, I'll agree with you. The more you work with your student and less general instruction, where you use vague words like faster, no, slower, no, slower, no, that's wrong. You need to fix it. There, there's no actual instruction there's no specificity there's to no it. specificity at all and there's a lot of specificity that you can go into when it comes to create that specific sound and it all goes to not only the timing and the notes that you play you know having an exact rhythm and having the precise notes but also the technique that you have, how your body moves with the piano, how your fingers react, how your wrist, your body weight that goes into the piano. I mean, I, I know, I'm sure you can add some guitar <laughs> references to this as well and other instruments as well, I'm sure, but the body is the one that creates the sound. And the word sound is another word that I don't think teachers use nearly enough. Yeah. Because that's our goal. The goal is to have a specific sound and to create that specific sound. You can really do a lot to be musical. I think that's one of the things that we really strive for between you and I and what I can really pick up from this conversation is that you want to teach musicians. And that's not to say you want to get someone who's already musically strong, but you want to get to work with musicians. And there's no reason why, as a teacher you can't create 
little musicians and medium-sized and large musicians <laughs> to really be part of what you're doing. If you look at your students in that way and you look at everybody who comes through the doors, okay, this is an opportunity to create someone who can have a real strong passion about music. Maybe you change your philosophies. Maybe you change your teaching style. Maybe there's a different way that you project the information. But at the end of the day, you can literally go through however many students you have or a week's worth of students, and you're playing with musicians. It's To me, that's one of the coolest things in the world. And students think it's really cool as well. Yeah. Students no longer just think they're students. They then think that they're doing something special, and that's what you want. But when you really get a student who feels like they're learning the material, but they're feeling even more like they're performing with you, forget about it. Like, that's that's awesome. Right. They're no longer just a student. They're really becoming a musician, and they're entering that world that you as a teacher are in. You're breaking that wall of the student going, oh, well, I'm never going to be able to play like that, or, oh, my God, how did you do that? I don't even understand. I don't even know what you just did. You're breaking down that wall, and they're going to be there right with you. They're jamming along with you. They're able to sight-read pieces. They're able to just go through a book with you. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. In the sense that they know enough to just pick up a piece of music and be able to play it. So I think Sonia and I are both extremely excited to introduce our first ever interview for the Modern Music Teachers podcast. Who are we interviewing today? We are interviewing one of the most popular names in piano music and composition, Mr. Kevin Olson. Kevin Olson is someone that Sonia brought to my attention years ago. The way that he composes is so special that from a compositional place, she said, John, you have to listen to some of his music. And then she all of a sudden showed me, hey, he's a gentleman who does a lot of repertoire for a lot of different levels, using a lot of different scales, a lot of different really interesting ideas, different time signatures. So he's not only become a favorite of a lot of our students, but for myself, someone that you know isn't a piano teacher, let's say, and is more of a guitar person who's been able to have a strong appreciation for the work that he's done. We are really excited to have Kevin Olson as our first guest. And as somebody who's going to be discussing what direction music has gone in in terms of teaching in terms of methodologies in terms of what resources we have where teaching could be going in the future it, it was a, it was a great conversation being able to sit down with kevin olson it's really interesting to see from the types of compositions he's able to do that he's done really get into a lot of his influences as sonia was saying where he sees music going and really seeing the modernity of not just music but music education as a medium i think it was a really great interview again thank you kevin olson for making the time to chat with us we hope you enjoy the interview so take a listen <laughs> He's probably your student's favorite modern composer, faculty at Utah State University, and director at the Utah State University Youth Conservatory. We're excited to welcome Kevin Olson. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're so happy that you could be here with us as well. Now, the first question I think that we're going to start with is, what is your teaching philosophy? Yeah, you know, when you were telling me a little bit about uh, your philosophies at the school before this podcast, I felt like there was a lot of resonance with how I teach as well. I really 
know how important it is that um, kids today resonate and connect with music. And I certainly admire and use the music from old, um, you know, the traditional masters and, and all of that. I think it's very important. But I also think it's just as important and maybe more important that we as teachers are looking out for the uh, the things that are uh, exciting our students today. They have so many other distractions and things that they're interested in, and there's so much available to them that I think piano pedagogy really has to evolve. And I think that's the great thing about teaching piano, really, is the fact that we have access to arrangements for just about everything and well-arranged uh, well pieces, uh, things that um, are technically and, um, and aesthetically stimulating for kids. So I would say top on my list is finding um, uh, ways to connect and resonate with a whole new generation of kids that are that have grown up in a digital age and have access to everything and uh, and ways that we can make music just exciting to to this generation. Absolutely. And I think you kind of nailed it on the head, too, when you said that there's so many different mediums for people to digest music with now. You know, they're not just uh, technical pedagogy anymore. Now you're talking about pop music that's a little bit more technical. You're talking about video games and movies that have really started taking the place. So it's very interesting to see kind of where music's come from. How old were you when you started composing and getting into composition yourself? Well, I lucked out in the fact that I had a mom that was a piano teacher. In fact, she still teaches a big studio in Salt Lake City. And so I uh, grew up in a house where there was music all around. And I can't remember a time that I didn't sit down and, and just noodle away on the piano. Um, but what I was lucky to have was a mom that helped me in my maybe kindergarten, first and second grade years to first she wrote down a lot of those ideas and then she started to show me how to do it of course it was all by hand back then there were competitions that were happening in our community uh there's the pta reflections contest that all the schools in the in, in the country participate in and mtna and other things and so for a a little you know first second third grader that was pretty exciting to get trophies on my wall and to get certificates and things like that and so all of a sudden those kind of things motivated me as a young kid, and I just kept going in that com composition competition route, pretty self-motivated. I would bring new compositions to my mom, and eventually when she sent me to another piano teacher, I, I took them to her, but I didn't get a lot of feedback from them. They just mostly just were uh, cheerleaders. They were encouraging me, and they were excited when uh, something might move on from district to state to national or something like that. And uh, so... Uh, that was kind of the first stage. And then I would say the second stage happened in high school where I started to get excited about writing for some of my friends. So the choirs, the jazz band in high school uh, wrote a piano concerto for our orchestra to play that I could play in front of the stage. And I had just great supportive teachers. And that's what really hooked me is that uh, adrenaline rush when you have a bunch of people performing a piece that you'd only conceived in your own head. It was just a uh, it was one of the most exciting things for me and, and propelled me into a, a degree program at the undergrad and graduate levels in composition theory. Would you say a lot of your earlier works in composition were close to what you're releasing now? Because you release a lot of music that has a lot of color chords, a lot of interesting time signatures, and a lot of really interesting music. Oh, yeah. I would definitely not be proud of much of that stuff. I don't think any of that will see the light of day. A lot of it, and I see this in my own students that are studying composition, was really kind of imitating music I was playing. So if I was 
getting into a, one of the Grieg lyric suites, you'll see my compositions at that time starting to sound like Grieg. I remember the piano concerto that I uh, uh, wrote for the high school is just a really bad imitation of Mozart, you know? So it was the stuff I was playing at the time. One of the classes that we have for the grad students at Utah State is, is a, a, a model comp, which basically you take a piece of music and you try to compose in that style. And I really think that young composers can learn a lot from that. Not only, even if they don't end up being composers, they can learn a lot about what makes something they're performing tick because they've had to actually write in that style. And even something they might not like that much, like a Bach fugue, uh, all of a sudden trying to write a fugue will change your whole opinion about how that is. And so I think it helped me as a performer growing up to write in those styles, but I also really learned a lot of the kind of things that I wanted to do. And I really didn't come up with a kind of sound that you're used to hearing until college, really. And I, when I was starting to write in that style, I'd had, you know, 10, 15 years of playing lots of different styles and uh, experience with contemporary music, not just classical, but I was playing in jazz band. I was in a rock and country band. And so a lot of those pop harmonies kind of influence. So I kind of see it as a big combination of all the musical styles that I've been exposed to up to that point. Are there any specific composers or artists that you would say influenced your current sound? Oh, you know, and I don't even know what my current sound is because it seems to change all the time. But I do think that um, uh, certainly a lot of the late Romantic and early uh, 20th century composers, I was a big Rachmaninoff fan. I loved uh, Gershwin. I loved Ravel and Debussy. Um, and of course, I played a lot of uh, jazz transcriptions. So things like Bill Evans and Oscar Peterson and Chick Corea and a lot of a lot of that stuff kind of went into it. Uh, you know, I, there were some pedagogical composers that I really admired at that time. And I would say that that certainly was an influence. I would say Robert Vandal was a big influence on me because I just loved the way that he could come up with really sophisticated sounding things, but with very simple patterns. So I had started teaching piano when I was maybe 14 or 15. And so I was, I was familiar with Dennis Alexander and Paul Scheftel and, um, and Lynn Freeman Olson and a lot of the other composers that had come before me. And so I, I, I can't think about any way that I consciously uh, uh, modeled, but I'm sure a lot of that influences. I was starting to think um, about pedagogically about composing. Nice. Those are all you know, composers that are still being used today and definitely the go-tos that we find now with Dennis Alexander and Melody Bober is another one that students find. Speaking of the modern composers that you mentioned today, how would you say that piano repertoire has changed in the past 20 years? Because even in my experience, taking piano lessons in the early 90s, it was still very traditional. My beginner songs were still kind of the folk songs of Oh Susanna. Yeah. Right. And the most modern music that I was really exposed to was Disney arrangements and the theme from Titanic, which was, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you could play the theme from Titanic, that was like, yeah. wow, you're a real pianist. <laughs> that was like the Pink Panther of my generation or, or uh, Charlie Brown or something. Yeah, absolutely. But like I said, even within the past 20 years, I think music has taken such a great and dynamic change. Yeah, and I think what what we're really seeing is, like you mentioned, there were arrangements out there, but I think one thing that always was difficult in teaching those arrangements is that many of them were either so complicated, they had all the, you know, 16th notes tied to dotted 16th notes and things like that, or they were so watered down that they were just 
boring to the students. And I think one thing we've really seen is publishers who are committed to uh, having arrangers that actually have pedagogical experience. So today, if we're looking for a Star Wars arrangement, you could find one at an early elementary level, at an elementary, early intermediate, late intermediate, early advanced, even some virtuosic arrangements of those. So whatever student we have that's interested in a certain piece, there's probably somebody out there that is done something and done it well. And so I think you're exactly right. It's not only do we have more access to arrangements, but I definitely think the arrangements are better. Now, going back to um, composing, do you feel now that piano pedagogy has taken that, that turn, that composition is now also becoming a more intricate part of the lesson? Yeah, I definitely think that it should. I really do think that there are a lot of teachers out there that are starting to encourage creativity, improvisation. Every summer I do a whole series of workshops around the country where um, I'm working with teachers to try to encourage this kind of improvisation with young students, well actually students at all ages. And you know I've even seen a change in maybe the last 10 or 15 years from teachers that first would look at you like uh, kind of deer in the headlights, like there's no way I could do this. And more and more I'm encountering teachers that are integrating this. I'm seeing more competitions that allow students to uh, submit uh, their pieces and uh, get feedback on them. Our piano festival, for example, that we do at Utah State has one of the categories, in addition to Baroque and Classical and Romantic, has a whole category on original composition. So students are able to either compose something or arrange something and actually be in a kind of a competition type of uh, situation with that. And so students as young as six and seven and eight years old all the way up to high school. And so I definitely think that the, the tide is shifting. I think there's a young demographic in our piano teaching world that is really spurring a lot of this change. I think we're all seeing how important it is to give these students a creative experience. One of the things that we've seen, I think, in the education system is the fact that our public school teachers are, just aren't able to do a lot of that creative work with their kids as much as they used to. There's so much emphasis on testing and, uh, and all of that. They're wonderful teachers, but they just don't have that flexibility to do blank canvas, creative writing, that kind of stuff. And so I think what we're doing as piano teachers becomes even more important now with this generation because we're helping these kids develop or really maintain their creative minds because, you know, young kids are all innately creative and we tend to kind of lose that as we get older so we if we can help our students maintain that creativity in the piano lesson I think we're not only doing them a, a great service as musicians but really as as uh, humans right and, and getting them ready for all of the demands that uh, they have in life that demand creativity I mean if you go and work for Apple or Google or wherever they need people who are are creative. And so I think our job becomes important for students, even if they don't end up in music. Absolutely. And I know for my perspective, uh, I'm, since I work with a lot of composition students over at our school, a big thing that I see is not only are students starting to uh, learn the technique of their instrument and then compose through that, but a lot of students are even starting on the digital devices. You know, you're talking about students starting to write pretty heavily on the computer through Logic, Ableton, GarageBand, um, even plugging in their keyboards and using all the different sounds, all the different orchestra samples, electronic sounds that are out there in these programs. Do you find that a lot of students now not only are taking the instrumental side of composition, but are also starting from a, uh, let's say, digital side and then expanding from there, putting them onto their instruments? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, 
It, an, another really exciting innovation is that m much of the software that you're talking about is extremely accessible, either built in into the uh, operating system of their uh, computers like GarageBand or something that's not that expensive and certainly very intuitive and, and easy to learn. This last fall, I taught a class at Utah State called Commercial Music Composition, and we had four projects that we were working on. We had the students compose um, bumper music for our local public radio station. We had them scoring films, um, uh, just some short student films uh, using Logic. We had them doing some songwriting. And then the last project was uh, an arrangement for our Utah State pep band that they could play at basketball games. And so they were taking a popular song and arranging it through a software program like MuseScore, NoteFlight, and those are free, you know? And so it's just, it's fantastic. And the thing that I was really excited to see is how many students had already had some experience. Maybe they'd messed around with GarageBand or Ableton or something already, and for them to make the plunge into something a little more sophisticated like Logic Pro wasn't a big deal for them. And so I think um, it puts the burden a little bit more on us as piano teachers to get to know this software as well and to see if we, we can uh, enable that process. Because you're right, uh, you know, uh, I am a big believer in computer notation. I just feel like if Beethoven had had Finale, uh, I guarantee he would have used it. He would have loved it because you look at all of his scores and their things are scratched out and their arrows moving from one section to the other. And the capabilities that we have with digital notation programs has just been a game changer for most composers. I know some are old school and still use the pen and pencil, but I would say most of my colleagues are turning this stuff out in digital notation, sending it directly to publishers through engraving files. It's just been a, a game changer, I think, for, for us as musicians. Absolutely. And I think even on the reverse of that, too, not only are you getting students now who start, let's say, either on their instrument and then go to the technology or take things like Logic and Ableton and develop those, um, I think it's also starting to inspire a stronger sense of music literacy, too. Yeah. Uh, a stronger sense of music literacy from even piano roll, for example. Maybe there's something that's a little bit outside of your uh, technical proficiency, but you can write it in and then afterwards translate that into, like you said, a Muse score, uh, Sibelius, or Note Flight, something like that. Yeah. 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 And I really think that, you know, what those software programs offer, of course, is ease and flexibility, but they also offer creative inspiration. So one thing I was finding is that there were, were some students that were taking my class last fall that were worried about scoring music for uh, a film. And you know, many of these uh, digital audio programs already have loops and other things that can, can inspire you. And I find that to be a really exciting entry point as well. If you don't have any ideas, but you're able to start to, to build sounds on top of other sounds, all of it, uh, to me, that, that just opens up all sorts of creative opportunities that maybe just the, the fear of sitting down at a piano and saying, okay, what am I going to write? It, it can be daunting, you know, and so th those things also offer other avenues for creativity. Yeah, and the fact that, like you said, they're so immediately accessible in our everyday devices, thats I think that's even another step in, in the direction that we want to go to, where creativity and music is more accessible, and it's not just to those specific students or those specific people. Right, yeah, and not just to the experts either. I, I think a lot of musicians maybe turn their nose up at GarageBand or something like that and say, you know, only real musicians go to conservatories and this kind of stuff. And I'm all about the democracy of music. I love the idea of music creation being accessible 
to all sorts of people. And if that gets someone excited about maybe learning orchestration and writing things out on their own, I can't see any downside to that accessibility for uh, anybody, not just the musical experts. One question that I was thinking of as, as we were thinking of the topic for today's podcast kind of going into a different direction. My husband and I both started out as music majors, but neither of us had the intent of teaching. When did you know that you wanted to teach and have that be part of your career as a musician? Yeah, I think my interaction with college students at Utah State would be very similar to both of you. I think that uh, uh, we've got a lot of our students that have pretty big dreams about what they want to do with piano performance. And I say more power to them. They're working hard. That's really great. But I definitely make sure and let them know that it is much more tips. It's not an easy career to be just a, a solely a performer. And I think both of you probably would agree with that. There are just a handful of people that can do it full time around the world. And even some of the great teach, uh, sorry, great performers have great studios. They're teaching. And so I, I, I uh, think it's really important for students to get a, a real sense of, of the music industry, what's available to us. I think teaching allows performers to perform and gives them the, 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 the flexibility, the financial uh, foundation to do the things they love to do. So I see teaching really helping people that might have more of a, a, a different focus. In my case, because I had a mom that was a piano teacher and always had a full studio, she um, would pawn off some of her students to me at a young age. As I said, I think I started out when in eighth grade uh, teaching. And um, by the time I was in high school, I had a pretty good studio. I had 25 students maybe that I would be teaching after school. By the time I graduated from high school, I still remember I had 8,000 bucks in the bank. And I remember thinking like I was a millionaire, you know, an 18 year old with 8,000 bucks. That's just like, you feel like you could live forever on that much money. And so I started teaching pretty young. And even through uh, college, my undergrad and grad, I taught and I've taught ever since. And so my focus at Utah State is still piano pedagogy. I do teach the majors in performance. We have a another faculty that uh, certainly has a lot more professional performance experience than I do. And so I think we were able to, to approach it from both sides at Utah State. But definitely in my pedagogy classes that I teach, I stress the importance of, of having that capability to be able to do that, as well as being able to read and sight read in the collaborative side of music. I feel like the more versatile we can be as musicians, you know, a lot of people make the jokes, worse, you know, the starving musician joke. And I, you know, I find that a lot of us do just fine because we're versatile. We can take gigs we can play, you know, some dinner music for a wedding, but then we can go play some chamber music somewhere, maybe some church music. We might be able to teach a few students and then still perform. And I, I think it's, it's a great life. And I think it's a life that can be maintained if you have that versatility. So I think most students come around to the fact that teaching will be a part of it. And some get really excited, geeky about it, too. Like you said, a lot of times when you start just getting immersed, not just in the world of performance, but the world of music in general, whether that be teaching, whether that be performance, whether that be, as you said, writing scores for uh, various films and various media, you know, you get a deeper sense of not only the uh, performance that you do, but the deeper appreciation for music as a craft as a whole. Uh, do you ever see that there's a little bit of resistance from performing musicians solely coming into the teaching world? And then where do you see a lot of that inspiration hit for the people coming into the teaching world like that? Oh, I'm not just a performer now, but I love being able to share that craft with other people. Yeah, you know, I think there's maybe a couple of reasons for that fact that people might not be that exciting about te excited about teaching. 
And I think really one, in a grad pedagogy class that we're running this semester, we talked about some of the teaching that uh, students had had before high school. And I was amazed at how, uh, I don't know how, how to say it, maybe how frustrated or how disappointing or sometimes how toxic some students' experiences were with their teachers. And I think if a student maybe in junior high or high school has an amazing teacher that is doing the things that you guys are doing at your school, that are integrating uh, modern and contemporary types of things with that solid foundation that's making music fun, I think a lot of those students want to go into teaching because they've had great modeling. I think some of the students that have had a real serious or maybe negative experience with their own piano instruction, they might not be the ones that are the most excited. And so a big job that we have in the college world is to show them that pedagogy is more than just those scary, serious types of uh, lessons they might have had getting ready for festivals and performances and things like that. Interestingly, at uh, just to give you a sense of the way we're trying to shape that. We've just recently combined our two degrees at Utah State. We used to have a separate piano performance degree and a piano pedagogy degree. And it was nice because we could specify and cater to the needs of those students. But what we found is probably what you're both thinking at this point. You had our, you had the kind of pedagogy click and then you had the performance click. And so there was kind of this aspect, well, you guys don't play quite as well as we do, so that makes sense why you would go into pedagogy kind of thing. And uh, so just last year, we rolled those degrees together into performance and pedagogy, and so we could really let the students know that we strongly believe that both are important. We need teachers who can perform, and we need performers who can teach. I, I think that's exactly what uh, uh, what you were mentioning, is this idea that it's important for us to not have a a derogatory uh, attitude toward teaching as if, you know, you weren't able to cut your plan A, so let's go to plan B, which is teaching. But to show that many of these great performers that are out uh, concertizing today are fantastic teachers. They're the in-demand teachers as well, and they're doing both at a spe spectacular level. Going back to the experiences you were speaking about, to where people had bad experiences with their past teachers, we, we get a lot of those students as well coming to us to where they had an, an initial interest, but somehow weren't able to keep that interest, or they just had a bad experience with a teacher wanting them to go a certain way or only maybe being familiar with one way. A lot of students that come to us, they come to us for that world of music that is out there right now that we can open up to them. One of the main requests that we get from parents is for the students to love music, to love what they do, and to just keep the interest there so it's not a forced habit. It's not something that they have to put up with. It's yeah. something that they truly enjoy. And that's that's one of the main goals for us as teachers as well, for the I students see. to not only be proficient and confident, but to be able to enjoy it as well and enjoy it enough to have them continue it, not even as a career, but just in their living room. No, I definitely agree with that. And I think that's why pedagogy should be regarded as a, an art and a craft. And the fact that we are, it really it comes down to us as teachers to be aware of lots of different approaches, publications, options for students. Uh, a big thing we stress at Utah State is for our teachers to be flexible. You might need that student maybe 14 or 15 year old that you know is going to just has a ton of potential and might major in piano and isn't going to quit. You might need to be a little bit of more of a bad cop with that uh, uh, student. You might want to uh, do a little more butt kicking with a student like that, not literally, but uh, obviously to get them 
um, motivated because a student like that might not need a bunch of uh, false praise but needs that motivation. On the other hand, the very next student that comes in your studio might be exactly like the student you're talking about, which is you're you're just keeping them excited about the next piece and you know that they're a big uh, you know Coldplay fan or something like that. And so you can find music that, that will cater to a movie that they've just seen or, or something like that. And yet you can still feel good about it because you're giving them uh, experience in, in reading, in, in interpretation. And, uh, and then the next kid might be coming in that doesn't read that well, but maybe is more interested in improvisation. And so a really great teacher might be able to, to teach a 12-bar blues to that kid and, and start to, to do a little bit of jamming and, and all of that. So, I, you know, I wasn't around back in the old days when they were teaching out of all the same books and stuff. But I, I do feel like the, the shift is going to the way where we're customizing to the student as opposed to the other way around, that assembly line approach where all the students kind of went through our curriculum the same way. And if you couldn't hack it, you just dropped. And I just feel like we're hopefully becoming much more flexible as teachers. Absolutely. And I love what you said about the customization of the lesson. You know, you're really trying to hear what each student's voice is and really trying to tap into that. Right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much again for making the time to speak with us. It was a real privilege to be able to speak with somebody who, number one, we've heard all of these various pieces from over the years, and number two, that our students have gotten to perform the great music of. So again, thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, it was great having you. And again, thank you for making the time. Oh, yeah, it means a lot. I sure appreciate talking to you guys. We want to thank everybody for listening to the first episode of the Modern Music Teachers Podcast. We got a lot of great interviews and a lot of great content coming your way. Uh, check us out over on Facebook. You could check us out over on podbean.com. We should be over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the different podcast distribution channels shortly, so keep an eye out for that. We're going to be posting in some of the different groups as well, for as we talked about earlier on different websites, different Facebook groups. And we'd love to hear your feedback on this. Again, this isn't just a place for us to give our uh, thoughts on the modern music teaching industry, but really also to hear feedback from you on what we're talking about, hear feedback about what you're doing in your classrooms, in your lessons, in your lesson plans. Uh, again, this is a resource not just for us to be able to talk, but for you all to listen and to also talk to us as well. Any topics you may want to talk about, any questions you may have for us, go ahead and chime in and we'd love to add those topics to our podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you on the next episode of the Modern Music Teachers Podcast.